to learn this, amen? So this is what we're going to do. When we do that, people from, we just get low. People from every nation and time, from just side to side, side to side. We crazy people, amen? <laughs> Y'all ready? All right, all right. Look to your neighbor and say, you ready? Ready. Oh, look to your neighbor and say, you better be ready. You better be ready. All right, from the top, one, 
excited for what God is doing right now. This next song is called Fight for Play. We learned it from SMI first year in Mardi Gras. And it's just a powerful song. We're talking about us as a people. We just need to get to God. Amen? Amen. That's our heart today in this place that we're just going to go after God in this time of worship. I don't know what you might be going through. I don't know what's in your head today. There's going to be a lot that's going to be poured onto you. Right now, it's starting with God just imparting something and anointing His power, His love on you. So right now, before we sing this next song, let's just get there right now. Let's just start getting there right now. Come on, just start speaking in tongues. Come on, just release the Spirit in His place.
got the victory. I got the sweet, sweet victory in Jesus. Oh, I've got, got the victory. I've got the sweet, sweet victory in Jesus. I've got, got the victory. I've got the sweet, sweet victory in Jesus. I've got, got the victory. I've got the sweet, sweet victory in Jesus. I've got, got the victory. I've got the sweet, sweet victory in Jesus. Oh, I've got, got the victory. I've got the sweet, sweet victory in Jesus. I've got, got the victory. I've got the sweet, sweet victory in Jesus. Oh, I've got, got the victory. I got the sweet, sweet victory in Jesus. Oh, forget about me, Lord. Be my mind. I came to praise, leave it all behind. I believe in you, the trust is mine. Fight through praise, fight through praise.
I just, I just feel, man, I just feel like the devil's been working extra hard to take some of you guys out, man. There is a war against your soul, but today you can be confident that you are victorious in Jesus Christ. You can be confident in Jesus, in his blood, that you have the victory, that he has defeated the enemy, that he has defeated the devil, that no plan that he has against your life will prosper because God is on your side. So declare it today that you have the victory. Declare it that you will never turn back because he's already been defeated because Jesus is on your side.
some students testify. If I could get Berto, Diana, Griselda, and Suellen up here. And I'm going to have Lauren and Adam. I'm going to have them share their testimony of what God did. How he called them. How SUM challenged them. And how you guys are at a crossroads right now. Making a decision to give it all up for the call of God. How many know that God has given us life and life abundantly? And he doesn't want to let us bring our baggage where he's going to take us. We can't bring our baggage where he's going to take us. Um, Before I went to SUM, man, I hardly knew about the Trinity. I didn't understand um, my life, my calling, my future. I had no idea what I wanted to do. Burnt out, 1.3 GPA in high school. And, you know, I could barely speak on a mic. I was timid. But, you know, especially through the emphasis of our practical ministry at SUM, I learned through going to Mardi Gras, preaching to people, talking to them, getting comfortable. You know, now I'm an A and B student in Bible college, going to graduate this spring. And if you let God um, grow your grace in this ministry, in this school, you're you're not going to regret it. Hallelujah. SUM has been one of the biggest blessings in my life.
it's, it's so humbling. It's so it's privileged to understand that God wants you here. And when I was back there worshiping, I just felt, I just heard the Lion of Judah. The Lion of Judah. I heard that in my mind, the Lion of Judah. And I just saw him running. And I know that God is going to use you guys for this, for your generation. I heard the Lion of Judah. And I heard, I'm coming to Zion. And I'm going to set the captive free. And I just know that you're going to represent the Lion of Judah. And by your preaching, by your tenacity, by your hunger for God and, and your love for the, that you have for people, God's going to do it. Amen? So take courage. You know, God, devil came after me. But you know what? I, I was weak. But God gave me the courage. Because he says to me, your weaknesses, he'll give you strength and strength. Amen? I shouldn't be here, but by his grace, I am. Amen. From the time that I was a little girl, I always felt the call of God on my life. Every time I was in church, you know, I knew I was going to do something, but I didn't have a way to do it. I didn't know what I had to go through to become, you know, a pastor. And through all my all my downfalls and all my backsliding and all that, God's call is irrevocable, man. His call was still on my life that whole time. And when I finally came to Christ, you know, as a single mother saying, man, like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how I'm going to go to Bible college. How am I going to provide for my child? How am I going to do all this, man? But God makes a way. And let me tell you, man, if you have a call of God on your life, SUM is where it's at. He's given me boldness through this, through Bible college, you know, the knowledge that I need to be able to defend my faith, to just be able to believe, have more faith in God. And you know, I, I was one that my family was not with me, you know, and I know many of you in here, your families are against you right now, and they're telling you, you know, don't do that. You, you could go somewhere else and then go to Bible college. There is no plan B with, with God. It's Jesus and it's or it's nothing. So I just encourage you, man, choose choose Bible college. Choose this because that's, that's the only way that the call of God will become real in your life and you'll be able to do his will. called and I just kept on doubting at the beginning. Like, am I called? Am I called? Am I called? And then God made it so clear. Just as if you are called. And in coming into SUM, equipping me, training me. You know, I'm learning about the word of God. Being able to, to have people from different parts of the, of the U.S. joining online in classes. Like, Amen. I'm praying for your house ministry going. And just seeing God move in my life from glory to glory. The growth, the knowledge, the friendships people SUM and what he's doing, just being able to now, you know, apply what I've learned here in this ministry here. Oh, and, and, and it's just keep on going. It's, it's, it's increasing. So it's, it's been a blessing in my life. Hallelujah. Let's give the Lord a hand clap. Thank you, Jesus, for these testimonies. Let's just thank him for a couple seconds here. God, we thank you that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. So we thank you for the testimonies that are coming forth, God, from a new generation of warriors, an army, God, that is rising up. I pray for your anointing. I pray for ears to hear tonight. I pray for clarity. I speak against confusion. Your word is sharper than a double-edged sword, and it penetrates even to dividing joints and marrow, God. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of our hearts. So I pray, God, that life, that destinies, that futures, God, will be will be situated today, that they, that they would come into alignment in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Why don't you guys shake somebody's hand, give somebody a big old hug. Just get ready to receive tonight a powerful, powerful word from the Lord.
It is not an accident that you are here. Thank you for being a part of our spiritual emphasis rally. God has big things to do in your life, in you and through you, and for the countless of people that you represent for the kingdom of God. Amen? All right, why don't you guys just give a hand clap for Joe as he comes up here to bring you the word. I just want to give it up for Nancy putting in all this hard work. Can we give it up for Nancy as well? Amen. I want you guys to open up your Bibles with me to Jeremiah chapter 1. And I just want to share with you for a few moments about the call of God. The title of today's message is A Prophet to the Nations. I know we have a lot of uh, seats available in the back, but if we need to scrooge uh, another row back there, Adam, if you could do that. Thank you, because I want you guys close tonight. I want you guys like a family. I said to the band, let's take off where the retreat left us. How many felt blessed in this worship today? Amen. I want to share my heart with you as your pastor, as an elder to you, and also as a spiritual warrior who's been in some fights with the devil. If you could see me spiritually, I look like an old boxer. My nose has been broken two or three times, cuts underneath the eyes, big swollen hands. I mean, some sheep bite marks all up and down the leg, you know, some battles with some wolves and bears. I just want to talk to you about what it means to be a warrior for Christ and what it means to fulfill your call. And I want to use Jeremiah chapter 1 as our scripture today. And as we're getting ready, I just want to thank you for being here because I know for you to step out into this calling, just to be here, it took a lot of courage. So I want to thank you for being courageous. This is a courageous call. This is not for the faint of heart. You could have chosen anything else, but you're being called and God is drawing you. And you could have resisted, but you're here. And I want to thank you for that. And while you're here, you may be asking yourself some questions. There may be even some doubts in your mind. I can remember starting SUM in my year back in the day in New Orleans in 96, August of 96 in the New Orleans campus. There was about 20 students that came that day that said, we want to start SUM. Do you know how many I graduated with two years later? Four. And one of them was not even from my starting class. Only three out of my starting class graduated. And that wasn't all who I saw come and go through SUM. I saw at least another 10 students throughout my two years there start and quit. So I saw 30 people take on the call and then set it aside to do something else. Sad but true, SUM is witnessing now some of the statistics that other schools have faced as we've gone on. Now, we have one of the best records of putting students in ministry. Eighty percent of SUM graduates are in ministry today full-time serving the Lord. Amen? Can we give the Lord a hand clap for that? Eight out of ten of our graduates are serving God today with the full-time call. But that 20 percent is starting to see some shocking things. Some of the students that I went to school with are already getting a divorce and parting their ways. Some I know who graduated SUM are not serving the Lord, struggling with sin, and their families are still praying for them to come back as we even pray. But you're here today, and that took courage. So I just want to talk to you for a few moments. I don't want to get you scared, but I want you to face up to your doubts today. 
You might be having one of these seven doubts right now. Maybe I miss God. Number two, maybe I just got caught in the hype. You know, everybody else was wanting to be a part of SUM. Maybe I just got caught in the hype. Number three, maybe I can still both have a secular job and do ministry. I don't necessarily need to go all the way in this. Number four, maybe I can be trained another way. Hey, I've heard there's other online campuses and other colleges that will do the school online. Let me just say this. I've gone to two of them, and they cannot compare to SUM. Number five, maybe I was called. Yes, that's true, but now is not the time. I have to do this, this, and this. Kind of reminds me of the parable of the man being, uh, uh, the man having the wedding, and he beckons the guests to come, and all of them have excuses of why they can't come to the wedding. And maybe you have those excuses right now. Yeah, I'm called, but maybe now is not the time. Maybe my friends and parents are right. I'm better suited to do something else. You might have heard that, as was already testified today. You might have already heard people say to you, 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 you're probably going to be happier somewhere else. This is probably not for you. This is going to take too much of your time. You know, that church stuff you can do on Sundays or just during the week, but you're probably better suited to be something else. Or number seven, you might be saying to yourself, maybe Bible college isn't for me. Maybe I miss God. Maybe I'm just getting caught in the hype. Maybe I could still have a secular job and do ministry. Maybe I could be trained another way. Maybe I was called, but now is not the time. Maybe my friends and parents are right. I'm better suited to do something else. Maybe Bible college isn't for me. Or maybe the devil is a liar. Jesus has called you to set the world on fire. Maybe the devil's a liar and Jesus called you to set this world on fire. You have got to believe today that you are called. You need to know that Jesus Christ has put his call on you. And I want you to be sure of your calling. I don't want to talk you into your calling because if a man can talk you into your calling, another man can talk you out of your calling. This is something that goes down deep on the inside of you that you have to know that you know you are called. And if you could do anything else, you should go do it because ministry is for those that can't live without doing it. This is the passion of their heart. It is what gets them up in the morning. Ministry is the pep in their step. Ministry is not an option for those that are called. It is a demand placed upon their life. Something that God was orchestrating from the beginning of time. And I can share with you fellow SUM students from the youngest among us, 17-year-olds, all the way up to 56-year-olds. It doesn't matter when you partake of that call. When God says now is the time and he presses down on your heart and you know it's for you, my friend, give it all you got. Give it all you got for as long as you can. John Wesley used to say do all the good you can for as long as you can. Never give up on what God has given you to do. One of the students that I seen graduate from the Bible college was an, was an older woman from Jamaica. She came down and, and to New Orleans. She graduated. She worked in our church as a 50-year-old woman, but she was serving God, fulfilling her call later in life. I've seen married couples. Dave Wallace, the leader of the cohort program, came married with kids, working jobs all night, going to school all day, living off a ramen noodle, a couple hours of sleep. But God gave him the grace to finish. 
I want you to look at Jeremiah chapter 1 as we begin to look at Jeremiah's life as an example of how to defeat the doubts of ministry and to know that you're called to be a prophet to the nations. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. Amen. Amen. God bless you for coming today. The words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkah, one of the priests of Anoth in the territory of Benjamin, the word of the Lord came to him in the 13th year of the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah. And through the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, down to the fifth month of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, when the people of Jerusalem went into exile. You may not have understood what I just said because you haven't been in Bible college yet, but I'm going to help you understand what you just heard. The time period that Jeremiah does ministry is the absolute worst time period of Israel's history. That's what those few verses just told you. Let me put it in modern-day English. He served the Lord under one of the most wicked kings until they all got defeated, brought into exile by Babylon. Hey, that's how he started his ministry. It wasn't he started his ministry during the time when synagogues were exploding, books were being written, and he was going to be the next guest on Oprah Winfrey and share his about his wonderful church. No, he was alive at the end of the reign of the kings in Judah before they were going to get taken over by Babylon because of the Jewish people's sin. That's what that first part says. Doesn't that kind of sound like the time you're living in right now? Does it sound like America is just already living for Jesus? Things are going great with our young people. The society is so excited about churches. Or does it sound like right now you're being called at one of the worst times in American history? You are being called during the time of President Obama while abortion on demand is legal while homosexuality and transgender is allowed in the White House, same-sex marriages are being, uh, are being legalized in California and on the West Coast in Vermont. You're living in a time right now where corruption is rampant. Big banks are taking over the, the, the industries and oppressing the poor. Suicide among young people is at an all-time high. Drug addiction, debauchery, just drunkenness, sexual immorality, atheism is prevalent among your generation. Hey, what a better time to get called than right now, amen? Because when it's the darkest, the light shines the brightest, amen? So I thank God during that time, verse 4, the word of the Lord came to me. I want you all to say that with me on the count of three. One, two, three. The word of the Lord came to me. You see, God is calling in the midst of a desperate people, in the midst of a destructive nation. God is still calling forth his prophets. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Come on, somebody say a prophet to the nations. You see, God picked Jeremiah even in his womb to be a prophet. When God puts his calling on you, you might just be hearing about it now, but God knows from the very beginning when he knew it. You see, you might be saying, God, what am I going to do now? You just called me. I've got kids I have to take care of, or I have to still pay off loans from another school. What am I going to do? God is just like this. 
Before you ever had a brain to get worried, I knew who you were. Before you ever jacked up your life, I knew who you were. Before you went to three community colleges, I knew who you were. I called you to be a prophet. I want to give you some things that you're just hearing right here in the midst of this passage, some things that will hopefully stick out to you in days to come as you fulfill your call. Jeremiah's name literally means, may Yahweh lift up. His name, Jeremiah, means may the Lord lift up. In the midst of a standard being brought down, can a Jeremiah come and lift it up? God is calling a generation of Jeremiahs while sin is pushing humanity down to the depths of hell so that they may come and lift up the people with the word of God unto heaven. His name literally meant to lift up, to be established. How old was he? He was around 20 years old. How do we know? Look at verse 6. Ah, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am only a child. A child in that day was somebody that had not yet been married and still lived at home. Do I have any unmarried folks still living at home in the house? Then according to the Bible, you are a child. Hey, don't take it personal. It's all right. But look at what Jeremiah says. He says, I can't even speak. Have you made your list of doubts yet to God? Well, God, I'm not very smart at Bible college. Well, I'm going to be busy all the time. Have you made your long list yet? Jeremiah could sum up his in two. I'm a child and I don't even know how to speak. But God had already called him to be a prophet. His name means to be lifted up. He's around 20 years old. He's living at home. He thinks he's too young, doesn't even know how to talk. And he's in the worst time spiritually of Jerusalem. And yet he is called to be a prophet. Everybody say prophet. What is the definition of prophet? It means to be a spokesman whose function is to carry messages back and forth between God and man. He's saying to Jeremiah, I'm going to start using you as my spokesman. I'm going to give you words to say, and you're going to go tell the people. He says, I've called you to be my spokesman. That's what you've been called to do. You've been called to get alone in your prayer time, to read the Word of God, to study it, to understand it, to properly interpret it, and then to go out into this world and to preach it. Now, this is not to be... um, Confused with the fivefold ministry of a prophet, prophets in the New Testament also have specific gifts to prophesy, to have dreams and visions. The Old Testament has that in the gift of the prophet, but they were the typical preacher of that day, meaning the preacher and the prophet were one. So this still suits for our example. But listen to how the prophets back then were looked at among the people of Israel. They played a unique and critical role in their society. They repeatedly called the people back to their commitment to obey and worship only the true God. They warned of foreign invasions. They protested against social and economic injustices. And they rebuked kings face to face for their sinfulness. Can you imagine standing before Obama and rebuking him for his sinfulness? These men would stand before the kings of the land and rebuke them. They would have no fear of man. They would preach the gospel to the people of that day. 
Yet their most significant task wasn't just the rebukes, it was the prophecies about the coming Messiah, the King of Kings. And so same as it is today, preachers, you're called to be a prophet, a spokesperson to the nations, the different people of the world, to hear messages from God and to give it to men, to rebuke and to correct and to encourage, but most importantly, to lift up Jesus Christ in the cross of Calvary, that all men might be saved come on he said if I be lifted up I'll draw all men unto myself we are called in the midst of the worst time in America's history among the most destruction of the end times of world history and we are called to be spokesmen for God to speak it boldly and through prayer divine visitation, repentance, and through practice of piety, virtue, the prophets were receptive to the word of the Holy Spirit. You see, your life cannot be polluted and expect to get words from God. You can't live in sin. Those that God calls to be prophets and leaders have to live to a higher standard so that you can hear clearly what God is saying. Just like a radio signal can be distracted by a cell phone or a walkie-talkie, your sin will jarble the words that God has given to you. But when you live clear, when you live holy, it is a clear message to your soul. And when you have the right message, your people will hear the right message. Can somebody say, I've been called to be a prophet to the nations. Amen. I want you to ready yourself today for that call. To think about the time when God spoke to you like he spoke to Jeremiah. And to not let anything shake you from him. You may say, Pastor, I have not yet experienced that moment yet, but I know that I have a urge and a, a passion for this. That is awesome that you have a passion, and that's awesome you have an urge, but you will never be effective until you have your call. And your call is a divine moment with you and God. How many of you, you know, whether it was in your prayer time, a prophetic word, a dream, in your devotions, you know that you know God has already told you, you are called. Would you raise your hands? Amen. Those of you that are still seeking God, you need to know that you are called. We will not accept you into the first day of the first year of SUM until you can look us in your eye, in the eyes and say, I know that God has spoke to me, I am called. I think about the day that I was going to drop off pizzas at the nursing home. Some of you know the story, but let me share it again for those that don't. I was just a pizza delivery boy. I have only been saved a few months. I hadn't even stopped smoking and cussing yet. I was still cussing and smoking. And here I am dropping off some pizzas. And there's an old, decrepit lady in a wheelchair, and she's kind of bent over in a wheelchair. And as I'm coming to drop off the, the pizzas for the nurses, I, I look over, and she says, hello. And, and when she said, hi, my heart just broke, and I reached out my hand to her to say, God bless you. But the moment I went to do that, somebody, one of the nurses said, don't touch her. She'll bite you. And I said, man, I don't care. You don't know where I've been. I've touched worse than grandma's. So I just reached out and I grabbed her hand. And I said, Jesus loves you. And so do I. 
And then I got the money. I went back into my car. And as I was sitting in my car, the Lord just spoke to me as clear as he spoke to Jeremiah. He said, I have called you to reach out to hurting people. Others will try to tell you to stop, but don't listen to them because I've called you. That day in my car in a nursing home parking lot, tears began to stream down my face. At that moment, I began to pursue the call, look for a place of training. The first Bible college that I went to rejected my application. I want you to listen to this. Not only is your pastor a high school dropout, but he's also a Bible college reject. So you think you've got it bad. Imagine the issues that I face. Here I am saved. I'm actually doing the right thing now. I want to be on the winning team. I'm not mooning the abortion clinic protesters. And that's what I did. My friends were protesting. I mooned them from my car. I'm no longer that person calling up TBN and saying I have a demon and his name is Bob and wants to talk to you. I'm no longer the kid smoking drugs in the back of the, of the church parking lot. I actually am saved. And I want to go to Bible college. And they reject me. They stamp back, or they send back a letter stamped rejected. I read it. Thank you, Joe, for your application. But we just don't think you're saved enough to come to our school. Take some more time and be under your pastor. And maybe we'll consider you then. I was so broken in my heart. I just felt like everything I had put my hope in was just shattered right in front of me. I hadn't even had a chance to preach yet, and already I'm rejected from a Bible college. And yet a few weeks later, there was a conference. Winds of Worship, the time when Vineyard was making the best worship songs. And there they were waving their flags and worshiping unto God. And then a preacher came up kind of in a Hawaiian shirt and, and, and you know, shorts and flip-flops. This is how they did it back then. They came all from California. And they were just talking about how God had sent them to a poor place of Ohio like Cincinnati or Cleveland to start a church. And it was hard work, but God was blessing them and the church was growing. And at the end, he said, if anybody feels an urge in their heart, something that would say to you that you want to plant churches, would you come forward? And so like some of you, I hadn't had a call yet to what I was supposed to do, but I knew I was called. I had a definite call, but not knowing what to do, but rejected by Bible college. And that day I came forward. And they said, let God speak to you. And they were playing that awesome worship music. And then God spoke to me again. He said, open your eyes and look around. And the altar was full. Maybe a hundred people, old and young, male and female, all different nationalities. And I looked around, a hundred people. And the Lord said, you see these people, I've called you with them to plant churches all over the nations. Some of them will give their lives for Jesus. Some you'll never see again until you go to be with me in heaven. But go and plant churches. I hit my knees, went right onto the podium, and I just began to weep on the stage, just buckets of tears, going, God, if you can use anybody to plant churches, would you use me? Out of desperation, calling my friends, do you know of a school? Do you know of a school? My friend Wayne Northrup was traveling through New Orleans. He heard about SUM with all of its 10 students. And he said, Joe, I think these guys are just crazy enough to let you come. 
They're nuts. They go out to the projects. They go to Mardi Gras for practicums. These guys are crazy. I think they'll actually let you come. And I remember getting the application within, I'm talking a few weeks. August was the start day, and I'm filling this out in the middle of July. And I remember that call that I got from Sister Miller from Ghana, South America. She called me up, and she started to ask me about my call, if I knew I was sure of my call. And it was that day they accepted me into Bible college. My friends, these are precious moments. I look back now at over 16 years of serving the Lord, 15 years of full-time ministry. And all that time, I've been tested on my call. People have told me that I shouldn't even pastor. When I was between one church and starting this church, I met with the pastor, and he said, I don't even think you're called. You should go do something else. But yet there was one thing that I couldn't shake in my spirit, that God had spoke to me, that the one who created me in my mother's womb had said that I was called. And I want you to listen to me today, friends. You need to know that you've been called because it will be tested. It will be difficult, but it will be fruitful and it will be worth it. Amen. Amen. I want to share with you a few more things about Jeremiah and my introduction before I get to preaching. Amen. I've got a wonderful message I want to share with you. I'm just at the beginning of the introduction. I want you to know that as he began to preach, he preached a message about repentance to his people. He didn't even have the chance to give them happy messages. It was instantly repentance. Look at Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 1. He's now called, he's a young man, he's in his 20s, and he's been called to rebuke kings and an entire nation. Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 1, the word of the Lord came to me, go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem. I remember the devotion of your youth, how as a bride you loved me and followed me through the desert, through a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord. Everybody say, holy to the Lord. The first fruits of his harvest, all who devoured her were held guilty, and disaster overtook them, declares the Lord. Everybody look up at me, please. Jeremiah is giving them a word saying, Israel, God delivered you out of Egypt. He loved you. He took care of you. Anybody who attacked you was destroyed. But now look what he says, verse 4. He says, hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, all ye clans of the house of Israel. This is what the Lord says. What fault did your fathers find in me that they strayed so far from me? God says, what was your parents' problems that they stopped loving me? What, what, what did your parents have against me that they strayed so far from me? They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. Jeremiah says they followed worthless idols and they themselves became worthless. Dear God. You think that's bad. He begins to rebuke them and talk about how immoral they are, how perverse they are. Look at chapter 2, verse 20. He says, long ago you broke off your yoke and tore off your bonds, and you said, I will not serve you. So, so here's a horse that's supposed to have a yoke that's supposed to be attached to the, to the rider's cart or to the plow. Uh, God is saying, you tore off that yoke. You broke off the bonds and you said, I won't serve you anymore. He said, indeed, on every hill and under every spreading tree, you laid down as a prostitute. 
said, you didn't want to serve me. You broke off from me. And now you're just a prostitute with your idols, cheating on me, cheating on me with your sin. Look at the rebuke. A 20-year-old man is rebuking the synagogue leaders, the priests, the kings, saying that they are like wild horses having sex under every tree. My friends, can you even get an idea of what this man was going through? Go to chapter 3, verse 1 and 5. God begins to say that Israel is like a, not only like a prostitute, but like a woman who divorced her husband and now is not even thinking of her morality anymore. If a man divorces his wife, chapter 3, verse 1, and she leaves him and marries another man, should he return to her again? Would not the land be completely defiled? But you have lived as prostitutes with many lovers. Would you now return to me? Look at what Jeremiah is saying. You have cheated on me. You haven't done it just once. You've left me many times. You've defiled the land with your prostitution. Continue on, last part of chapter 2, verse 2. You defiled the land with your prostitution and wickedness. Therefore, the showers have been withheld. No spring rains have fallen. You have the brazen look of a prostitute. You refuse to blush with shame. My friends, we live in a generation where people don't even blush anymore about their sin. Homosexuality used to be so perverse that people blushed when they talk about it. Having sex outside of marriage used to be something that only people that were less of a standard would do. But now we have shows like Desperate Housewives, All Up on TV, Jersey Shore, all of these things, Real Housewives of Mob Wives and New Jersey, Real Housewives of Orange County. We have seen a total degradation of the family living just like he said. And we don't even have a shameful look on our face. Do you still want to be a prophet? Hey, I said, do you still want to be a prophet? See, these were Jeremiah's words speaking to a nation that was backslidden. And he said, I'm willing to say whatever you tell me. Sounds just like our generation, doesn't it? They rather believe in gods than the whole, uh, rather believe in aliens than believe in the Holy Ghost. They rather believe that we came from nothing billions of years ago and evolved from animals and that we were made in the image of God. They want to push you into a closet while they come out of the closet. Jeremiah was around at a time when speaking these words actually began to get on the nerves of the people. How long do you think you can call a nation prostitutes? How long do you think you can rebuke them and call them wild animals before somebody gets mad? Look at Jeremiah 7, verse 27. Look at this. Jeremiah 7, verse 27. When you tell them all this, God speaking, they will not listen to you. When you call to them, they will not answer. Therefore say to them, this is the nation that has not obeyed the Lord its God or responded to its correction. Truth has perished. It has vanished from their lips. Cut off your hair, throw it away, take on a lament, and bear, and go to barren heights for the Lord has rejected and abandoned this generation that is under his wrath. Now I thank God in the New Testament God has not done this to us yet. 
But I want to walk you through the life of a prophet. Jeremiah was called. He said, but I'm but a kid. I don't know how to talk. God said, I'm going to give you the words. I knew who you were in your mother's womb. Now go out and preach. Okay, what am I going to preach, God? You're going to preach and tell them they're prostitutes. Okay, God, I'll try. He does it for a while. Nobody listens. And then he goes back to God and says, nobody's listening. He says, I know nobody's listening, but I still want you to do it, even though I've judged them already. Do you know that part of the job of the prophet is to be there as the messenger, whether they receive the message or not? So many times people ask me, well, how effective is it at Mardi Gras to win souls? How effective is it to go out witnessing? The effectiveness is not up to you and I as messengers. We're out there to be prophets to a backslidden generation and make great the way of the Lord and say, prepare His way in coming. My friends, don't get discouraged when ministry doesn't follow you with crowds. Don't get discouraged when everybody doesn't hoist you up on their shoulders and say you're the best messenger they've ever seen. Don't be discouraged. As a matter of fact, the Bible says rejoice in Matthew because you're suffering the same suffering the prophets did before you. Actually, Jesus says, woe unto you when everybody speaks well of you. Let's keep going. The life of a prophet, Jeremiah 16. This is where it gets a little real. Everybody say it's real. Thank you, Jeremiah 16, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to me. You know he thought this was from the devil because it said, You must not marry. Oh, hello, somebody. Oh, you know he thought that was from the devil. Shaitan, Satan, I bind you in now nombre Jesus. No, it's not Satan. It's not Satanas. God said to Jeremiah, you must not marry and have sons or daughters in this place. Do you know that when I got saved, Jesus said, be single for a year? And I thought, okay, I can do it. It's going to be hard, but I'll do it. I'll do it. And when that year was over, I was like, here I am, God. He said, I just wanted to give you something to get started with. But now you're going to be single for a long time. He just said, I just wanted you to get used to it. Just put your mind on a year. I didn't want to freak you out and tell you eight years because that's what it's going to be. It's going to be long. I thought the Lord tricked me. Wait a year. I'm going to get married at 19. Some of my friends actually did. He said, no, I just wanted to get you started. Now, now you know you did it one year. You could do it two years. You could do it three. You see, the word of the Lord may come to you and tell you exactly how he wants you to be in your family. But once again, it's God's word. I would rather be single and be with God than to be married without God. I would rather be raising my children as a full-time Bible college student than living in the condos downtown under the curse of the devil. I would rather be faithful to God working full-time and going to school full-time and doing practicums part-time and staying out of this world than to have all the money and all the time and lose my soul. My friends, it's worth it when God says it. God said to him, you must not marry. So now let's go over Jeremiah's life. He's a prophet at the worst possible time in Israel's history. He is preaching a hard message of repentance. He's even been told now, they're not even going to listen. Judgment for sure is coming. He is being mocked and ridiculed. And then just to put the icing on the cake, don't marry. 
What do you think he felt at that moment? Despair. Loneliness. Ministry is not here to try to make you feel good and happy. Jesus is not concerned about your happiness right now through ministry. You will be happy. You will be content. But it's not going to come the way you think it should come. Ministry is not based upon your wants and your desires. God is here looking for people that will represent his kingdom more than anything else. Where he tells them to live, they will live. If he says move to the inner city of New Orleans, we'll live in a roach-infested shack, that's where you live. If he says move to the, the, the humble areas of India and to the villages, that's where you go. If you have to work a job like Paul the tent maker for the rest of your ministry, that's what you do. If you preach to five people in a small town and God said that's where you belong, then that's what you do. You see, ministry is all about selflessness. Ministers are here to represent what Christ was upon this earth. Christ was not here looking for an earthly kingdom. Christ was not here to put on an earthly crown and be hoisted up on some golden uh, throne and to be worshipped upon this earth. He came to suffer. He was the servant of all. That's what you're called to do. But it's okay to hurt sometimes, and we do in ministry hurt sometimes. Look at Jeremiah chapter 20. And look at Jeremiah's heart as he begins to hurt for the people. And guess what they do to him in his darkest hour? Chapter 20, verse 1. When the priest Pasher, son of Imar, everybody say the priest. Okay, so he's about ready to get persecuted, not by a king, not by a communist government, by a priest. Everybody say a priest. Thank you. When the priest pastor, the chief officer in the temple of the Lord, heard Jeremiah prophesying these things, he had Jeremiah the prophet beaten and put in the stocks at the upper gate of Benjamin at the Lord's temple. Can you imagine what Jeremiah is going through right now? Can you imagine the pain that he is feeling? But you keep going, and he begins to share some of this pain that he is feeling And then God begins to speak to him around verse 7. I wish I had time to read this whole chapter. But this is what he says in verse 7. Oh, Lord, you deceived me, and I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed. This is the breakdown of a prophet. He doesn't have America's fastest growing church. He's not on the corner, uh, the cover of Newsweek or Charisma magazine. He doesn't have everybody stay in his church. He's lost his congregation. He's told he can't even marry. People are ridiculing him. They've beaten him. They've put him in stocks. They've locked him up and put him for ridicule for the city to see. Not just the weirdy pagan people, but the priests, religious people. And now he has a talk with God. And what does he say to God? Oh, Lord, you deceive. Me, you overpowered me and prevailed. God, you made me do this. God, you, you put so much Holy Ghost on me that I couldn't resist you. You overpowered me with the with the hope of changing a nation. You you gave me an inspiration to do this, but you deceived me. I didn't know it would be like this. 
I didn't know that I would lose all of my friends. I didn't know that I would lose the respect of the country I live in. I didn't know that the very religious people that I had gone to church and listened to would now ridicule me. I am ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me, verse 8. Whenever I speak, I cry out proclaiming violence and destruction. So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach. All day long. What would you do in his place? You don't have money. You don't have a YouTube channel. People aren't listening to you. They're just ridiculing you. They're just mocking you. All you're getting from the Lord in your prayer time is to rebuke them of their sin. It's cost you money. It's cost you members. People are leaving your church. What are you going to say to God? Will you be like Jeremiah that day and just go, God, you tricked me. You, you made me think I was a prophet to do good, but I do nothing but bring harm. And I'm suffering. I'm suffering because of your word. Listen to me. That word that Jeremiah heard as a young man, he's older now. That word that he heard from God before you were in your mother's womb. I formed you and fashioned you to be a prophet to the nations. That word that said, even though you're a child, I'll give you the words to speak. I didn't get to read it all, but he says, what I tell you to build up will be built up. What I tell you to tear down will be torn down. Those words that used to bring him hope are now the words that bring him pain. I remember what it was like sitting by myself in New Orleans, some one-bedroom roach-infested house in the ghetto part of New Orleans, $350 a month I was paying for rent. I wouldn't even take off my socks. When I would close my eyes and dream, I would see dreams of violence and visions of destruction. I would hear gunshots in the night. I remember standing many times in the middle of the street when gang fights were breaking out. I was chased off of streets. I had curses put on me because of witch doctors I didn't have because of psychics in the French Quarter I didn't have enough money to eat food with and here the people send groceries for me to give to the poor and I'm having to eat from that very part the box that they're giving the friends that I've had they've forsaken me they're looking to ministry as what they can get out of it they're preaching the crowds and I remember being lonely by myself there in New Orleans and I said God what's gone wrong just like Jeremiah. And God spoke to me. Just like Jeremiah. And I want you to hear what he says because he'll say it to you. So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. But if I say I will not mention him. If I say I'm not going to talk about God or speak anymore in his name. His word is in my heart like fire. A fire shot up in my bones. I am wearied of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. God began to speak to me those days in New Orleans. And he said to me, it's worth it because I'm with you. An audience of one. Preach it as I told you because I hear you. 
You have to get to the place in your ministry where you realize the word burning within your heart is from God and that you can't keep it in. It is like fire shot up in your bones and you're doing it for nobody else but for God himself. And if the whole world were to turn their back on you, if everything you know was to fall apart in front of you, it's worth it because it's the word of God and he is worthy. He is worth your life. May the Lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. If I'm a part of the reward of God in his Christ's suffering, then pour me out, Jesus. If if I need to give my star-stuck ideas away and all these dreams of grandeur so that Jesus may be lifted up, may I not seek a name. May I not seek a name, but may God give me a voice. May you say the same thing. It doesn't matter who knows you, what accolades you get in this world. It doesn't matter about your name, but the name of Jesus Christ. My friends, you and I will get to heaven one day, and those you think are going to have the greatest rewards are not, but those that you've never heard of, pastors in India that plant and pastor 20, 30 churches, people that you've never heard of, martyrs who gave their life in Central America, these are going to be the great ones in the kingdom of God. Why? Because they didn't do it to be on TV. They didn't do it for reputation or a man-pleasing, weak, sissy spirit. They did it with boldness, whether the was with them or against them and they preached the word why because they were called to be a spokesman a prophet to the nations is anybody here called to be a prophet to the nations do you believe like jeremiah you are called my friends it's through his life through his life of 40 years you want to know the last thing that he saw before he died was this whole nation being carried off to captivity. Children were having their heads beat against the walls of the city. Imagine somebody taking our children by the legs and flinging them into the walls. The judgment of God was the last thing he saw. But before he went home to be with the Lord, God gave him words of hope that a nation would be changed. That through the judgment that God was bringing upon them by the Babylonians, that there would be mercy, that there would be a remnant, that there would be a group of Israelites like Daniel who would refuse to eat from the king's table, Nebuchadnezzar, men like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who wouldn't bow their knee when everybody else was bowing down and would get thrown into a place of fire. Other prophets would raise up and they would look to him as an example and they would read his writings you see though it didn't look like in the natural that anybody cared but it was the word of the Lord and the Bible says it endures forever God gave him a word look at Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 1 he gave him a word of hope I don't have even time to read it all but it says in verse 4 Jeremiah 29 verse 4 this is what the Lord Almighty the God of Israel says to those I've carried off into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons and give your daughters a marriage so that they may too have sons and daughters. Excuse me. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. And he begins to tell them God is going to prosper them there 
and that he's going to bless them. And then in verse 10, he says, this is what the, the Lord says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. Look at Daniel chapter 9. Do you know who Daniel was? You see, Jeremiah was a young man when he was called. And he prophesied for 40 years. Now he's 60 years old. But there's another young man. And his name is Daniel. And his friends are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And when it was time to be sent to Babylon, they picked out the best youth of the Jewish people and they put them in the king's palaces to work for the king. And there Daniel, you know Daniel, the man who prayed three times a day, was sent to a lion's den, but he was not harmed. Daniel reads Jeremiah chapter, one, uh, chapter 9, verse 1. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures according to the word of the Lord given to who? Given to who? Jeremiah, the one sent to establish, to lift up a standard. I went back and looked at that man's words. Jeremiah, the prophet, that desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition and fasting in sackcloth and ashes. I want to ask you a question. Do you want to leave a legacy for generations to come? Should the Lord tarry? I may not be the next American Idol. You may not be the next runway star. You may not be the next big thing on TV. You may not ever be known to this world. But do you want to be known to the people of God? Do you want to have the annals of history in heaven record what you've done and the people around you to be impacted by your faith so it inspires them to seek the Lord? See, Jeremiah was a prophet to the nations when nobody was looking. But when the time was right, God used him to impact the nations through him. It went through him. And the way I look at it, my friend, is through generation to generation, God calls Christians to get the baton and to run. He calls a generation to run and he sends the Christians from the previous generation like Jeremiah to put the baton into the Daniel's hands so they can keep running. Will you be a standard bearer in this generation? Will you hold the Word of God close to your heart? Will you preach it even if it's hard? And will you pass it to the next generation? Come on, somebody say, that's a great introduction, Pastor. You see, I knew I couldn't preach the things i got to say now unless I told you the introduction about Jeremiah. See, if I just said, like Jeremiah, some of you wouldn't understand. But now I've got to preach the message. Somebody say, preach it. Amen. I want to give you the message. Turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 3. And I want you to learn what's the difference between a prophet of God and a peddling preacher. Peddling preachers are people who just preach for the money. They peddle their message for what you give to them like a peddler 
somebody just wanting with their hand out, just wanting something from you, and they're going to come and try to manipulate you to give to them. I want to tell you the difference between prophets and peddling preachers. Chapter 23, verse 1, Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture. See, God has a problem today, just like he did in Jeremiah's day, with people who are peddling the word of God. They're doing it for their own benefit. You see, right now, you may not think it matters much to you. You may be thinking to yourself, well, you know, nobody's perfect. I'm okay. I'll just try to get into ministry. I'm not going to take it that serious. If you do not take this serious, you will do more damage than you can ever imagine. If you're not willing to lay your life down, Jeremiah 23, brother, if you're not willing to lay your life down, then don't do this. If you're not willing to live live to a higher standard, don't do this. If you're not willing to be trained by men and women of God who have gone before you and laid forth a path, then do not do this. If you have a rebellious spirit in you, an unteachable attitude, something that makes you want to be a know-it-all, do not do this. Because not only will you now hurt yourself, you will hurt the people around you. That's what Jesus said. He said, count the cost. Jesus said, hey, if somebody wants to go build a tower, don't they count the cost before they do it? Otherwise, it's half built and people mock them. And I've seen it here in this church. People start and quit. And then they want to restart another way. And God bless them for not totally being backslidden. But my friends, it destroys the faith of the young. It destroys the heart of the disciples watching them. People watch these prophets become peddlers and backslidden, and they wonder, what is it? Is God bigger or is the flesh bigger? Is the world more powerful or is greater is He than it's in you, Jesus, more powerful? I'm tired of backslidden SUM students quitting half-hearted wannabes, find an easier way to get around the mountain. You will destroy yourself and others in ministry. If you didn't have integrity to finish what you started here, you won't finish ministry when you started over there. And God have mercy on any ministry that takes backslidden peddling ministers and puts them in the pulpit as sissy milk drinking babes and expect them to raise up an army. I remember watching students backslide out of our Bible college and go work as youth pastors. And yes, there was that envy like, oh, yes, maybe we could go be youth pastors. Maybe we don't need to finish out our program. Hey, we can preach. We seem to know kind of what the professors already know. We're just about equal in knowledge. And let me tell you something, my friend. You don't judge these peddling, backslidden, prissy, sissy pastors over one year or two years. You judge them over a decade. You judge them over a decade. Because your fruit will find you out when your root is bad. I'm so sick of it, my friends. I don't want you to come here under any false pretense of what SUM Bible College was in the days I attended it under the founder, Chancellor No, and what it is today. And if anybody wants to change the standard, may God have mercy on them. But we know what it means here and what it means to us. And people like Brother Anthony Freeman and Sister Joan Miller 
and Chancellor know who would spend time pouring into us. I remember for seven chapels in a row, Chancellor would whoop and holler at us at the greatest pitfalls of ministry. And we would just get so tired of him telling us that we're going to fail. We're going to fail if we don't get it right. But we knew by the end of that message, we knew his heart. And his heart was he had seen so many ministers fall. That's why for seven weeks he told us the greatest pitfalls for ministers. And then I listened to Chancellor No preach. Now one of the best messages, you can find it on SUM website. I'm not for sale. Talking about how even in ministry, without losing your integrity, there's plenty of preachers who still have integrity. The others I was talking about don't. These have integrity, but they'll change the message for more people, for more money. And he talked about his life over 30 years of ministry and what it's cost him people even willing to donate a million dollars to the Bible college if they would just soften the edges a little bit. And I've even sat down in conversations with other pastors where they've mocked my pastor and said he's a legalist and that he's too strict. And I'm even reminded of talking to Brother Anthony the other day as I was seeking his counsel on an issue. And he was talking to me about the great love he has for the people and yet a standard that will not change. Because why? He's called to be a Jeremiah, a standard bearer. And so are you. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what the Lord God of Israel says, 23 verse 2, to the shepherds who tend my people, because you've scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done. My friends, I don't even have time to read this whole chapter, but you can read it. But I'll give you the last part that I want to give you, the difference between true prophets and peddlers. Go on down to the very end here, going on down to verses 33 and onward. He says, when these people or a prophet or a priest ask you, what is the oracle of the Lord? So when people come to you, everybody look up at me, please. When people come to you and they go, what's God saying? What's the oracle? What's the word? Because this is during the time when people may want to know it. You know, this was before he'd been beaten. By the way, he was also thrown into a pit. But when they come to you and they go, what's the word? What's the word, Jeremiah? This is what he says. He says, say to them, what oracle? I will forsake you, declares the Lord. Y'all don't even hear what I just read. You think your Jesus is Barney? You think your you think our Jesus is 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 some uh, uh, customer service rep at Verizon that when you want to cancel and go to AT and T, they're going to put you to their cancellation department and try to talk you into staying for the next hour? You think our God, a man said to him, hey, I want to follow you, but let me go bury the dead. Let the dead go bury the dead. Another one came to him and said, Jesus, I want to come follow you, but let me go and say goodbye to my family. He who looks back after putting his hand to the plow is not fit for the kingdom of God. He's Lord of all, or he's not Lord at all. Are you listening to me? He's not looking for perfect people, but he's looking for people who perfectly set their heart on him. 
who though they fall like a Peter did and make mistakes, they say one thing. See, when all those other people were leaving in John 6 and he looked at, at Peter and he said, where do you want to go now, Peter? Do you also want to leave? You see, Peter might have made mistakes. He might have put his foot in his mouth. He might have dealt with pride. He might have had a self-righteous attitude at times. But when it came down to it, though he wasn't perfect, his heart was perfectly set on the Lord. And when Jesus looked at him and said, do you want to run away too? He said, Lord, where else shall I I go you have the words of eternal life and I believe you're the holy one he said God where else am I going to go I've given everything for you that's what he's looking for he's not looking for people with plan B C and D he's looking for people it's plan A Jesus is everything who burn the bridges behind them and say, I'm not going back. It doesn't matter if I don't get money. It doesn't matter if it's hard, if I'm single. I'm not going back. Where else can I go? Anybody who's been called in the ministry will share that with you. But here God is telling these fake pastors and leaders, I've got nothing else for you. If you can't listen to what I've been telling you, there ain't nothing else for you. Now in verse 34, a prophet, if a prophet or a priest claims, this is the oracle of the Lord, I will punish that man in his household. So when people start making up stuff, well, God told me this. and Well, God told me to quit and take some time off and start back up again all backslid. God didn't tell you that. Well, God told me I was supposed to go sleep around and live in sin. And once I got my mind right, I was supposed to do it over here. No, God didn't tell you that. Well, God told me to stop speaking in tongues in church. And I'm only supposed to speak in tongues in the back room. God didn't tell you that. Stop lying. And watch what happens to their children. I don't have time to preach it, but it comes upon their children. That's why, my friends, you better live right because you're going to have children one day and they're not going to do as you say. They're going to do as you do. They don't care what you say. They want to know what you do. So these people are going to make up stuff. Verse 35, this is what each, this is what each of you keeps on saying to his friend or relative. Y'all keep talking amongst yourselves, asking your friend, asking your relative, what has the Lord's, what's the Lord's answer? What has the Lord spoken? But you must not mention the oracle of the Lord again because every man, every man's own word becomes his oracle. Oh, I wish I could just place this as a tattoo on your head. And when you come to me with some ninny poo poo jargon of what you think God has enabled you to do to quit short of graduating this program in three years, I wish you could just go look back in the mirror and read this right back to yourself. My own words have become my own oracle. My own words have become my own words from God. I just make it up as I go, Pastor. Whatever I feel blowing me this way, whatever I feel blowing me that way, I'm just a peddling preacher. Just a peddling preacher. Ten shekels in a shirt. What's the best deal at the best price? Then I'll come peddle my gift over there. I'll come sing in your band. I'll come work in your youth ministry because my own word has been made the oracle of my God. And so you distort. I'm going to read it again. But you must not mention the oracle of the Lord again because every man's own word becomes his oracle. 
And so you distort the words of the living God, the Lord Almighty, our God. This is what you keep saying to a prophet. What is the Lord's answer to you? Or what has the Lord spoken? And then he keeps going on down in verse 40. He says, I will bring upon you everlasting disgrace. What is the difference between those that are peddling preachers and those that truly have the word of God? The difference is hearing what God says and speaking it. It's doing what he said in the past, not adding anything to it, and being faithful to the call. And here's a life verse for me. It's funny because, you know, everybody has a life verse, you know, like John 3.16. Let me tell you what your pastor's life verse is. Can I share it with you? My life verse is found right here in Jeremiah chapter 23. That every man may have a word, but God has, excuse me, every man may have a dream, but God has a word and it will burn up like straw, those other false words. Look at it in verse 28. I'll just go to verse 26. How long will this continue in the hearts of these lying prophets who prophesy the own delusions of their own minds? They think the dreams they tell one another will make my people forget my name just as their fathers forgot my name through Baal worship. Here it is, verse 28, my life verse. Let the prophet who has a dream tell his dream, but let the one who has my word speak it faithfully. For what does straw have to do with grain, declares the Lord, is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces. What's the difference between a peddling prophet and a real preacher? Is the word of God. You get the word of God and you preach it. Amen. We started off with seven doubts. You need to know that you're called. And you need to be that prophet that God has called you to be. There's three things that you need to remove from your life. Number one, the corruption of your personal character. These priests and prophets of those days were so corrupt that their own imagination became the word of God. Their imagination told them that they could do whatever they wanted because they said it was the word of God. You've got to rid yourself of all corruption before your flesh becomes your idol. Repent of your sin and live holy. Number two, they looked at their own desires and not the desires of the people. They were selfish. They just wanted more attention. They wanted to be the Kanye West of the ministry circuit. They just wanted to work the crowds. They wanted to be the next guitar hero on stage where everybody shouted their name. They didn't care about the people. They cared about themselves. Rid yourselves of corruption of your character. Rid yourselves of selfishness. It's not about you. Even if you were to never hold a mic again. I'm going to pause right here and share this with you. During this last season, the last six months of my life, God literally told me this. God said, would you make Berto, uh, Jared, Adam, one of them, the pastors, serve them the rest of the life and be an usher in your own church? God tested my heart and I said, yes, Lord. I couldn't have said it before, but God took me through so much that last six months that God said, if I told you to let another man pastor, you be the doorkeeper, work at McDonald's, and your heart will be to be a tither here and a servant to one of these leaders, would you be willing to do it for my kingdom? You see, that's when you decide it's not about you anymore. It's not about your name. It's not about your notoriety. Get rid of the corruption. Get rid of the selfishness. And number three, stop speaking your words over the word of God. We have enough peddling preachers that talk about their opinions. 
Everybody has opinions like armpits, and they usually stink. We don't want your opinions. The youth group doesn't need your opinions. Well, you know, homosexuality is kind of okay in my book. Well, you know what? I curse and drink over, you know, at my friend's house. It's okay. We don't need any more preachers with opinions from talk shows. Get rid of your corruption. Get rid of your selfishness. And stop raising your word above the word of God. I was talking to Brother Anthony the other day, and I know you guys know what I'm preaching about here in this church. We were the first SUM in Chicago, the first graduate to have an uh, an SUM cohort, first graduate to be a professor. I could keep you here all day with first that we've been able to do here because we are a pioneer in ministry. But I want to share with you, during those times, I've had people quit on me. And they think because they quit on Joe that it's okay with God. And I was talking to Brother Anthony, and I said, I don't get it. I don't get it, Brother Anthony. We might have had trouble. You might have rebuked me till my spiritual hiney was red, and I had to stuff my pants with toilet paper just to sit down at night. I remember getting rebuked for two hours home with Chancellor No from a party, uh, uh, from an event one time, because I had gone to the front of the line to eat food. He rebuked me for two hours on selfishness and greed that I had in the ministry until tears came down my eyes. He said, I just tell you this because I love you. It, it don't feel like you love me. It don't feel like it. I want you to hear me. And I was talking to Brother Anthony. I said, I don't understand. And he spoke this to me. And I want you to hear it because it's something we need to hear. He said, this generation has lost all loyalty. He said, it's lost all loyalty. You know, back in the day, you would go to the same barber. You would go to the same grocery store. How many know what I'm talking about? Your parents went to the same grocery store, same barber. My parents did the same thing. I mean, I'm not talking about being from the 20s. I'm just talking about 10, even 15 years ago. We were more dedicated. People drove a certain brand of car, wore a certain kind of clothes, looked for a certain salesperson. When I go to stores now and they give me a card, I just say, just keep it because it don't matter to me. That's how much we've become just consumer driven. We don't care about sales reps. We don't care about relationships. We just go where the best deal is. And he says, this generation has lost all loyalty. He said, they come from broken families where mom and dad never demonstrated it to each other. Divorce, never got married. So there was no loyalty between mom and dad. There was no loyalty then between their parents and themselves. They were never had a parent that would be loyal or one of them wouldn't be and they were raised that way. Then they were raised in a high school where teachers would come and go and leaders would come and go in and out of their life. Coaches would come and go. Everybody's in transit. And now technology, all it does is just speed the process up. Come on, I just need another friend. I need another tweet. I want to watch another YouTube video. And relationships don't mean anything anymore. Well, I'll go down to this church because it looks kind of like our church, but there's a new leader there that I think I'll get along with better. Or let me go make friends with this girl. You know, we've been friends for a long time, but she kind of looks like my old BFF, and we'll make friends and start over. We get so transient in this generation. And we don't understand loyalty to the things of God. 
I was looking at the list of the top 100 churches in America today, all the way from Joel Osteen being 40,000 to the smallest hundred on the list was like 6,000. The average time a pastor stays in those churches is 18 years. You know the average tenor of most pastors in America today? Three to five. Is it any coincidence that the churches that are growing the most are the ones where pastors have plugged in and, and, and put in their roots and said, here we are. We're not going anymore. We're not quitting on you. We're not just hopping to the next church. Three things, and you've got to be loyal to it and committed to it. Now I want to give you three things, excuse me, four things to do. Can somebody say preach it? Amen. My, my sermons are shorter than my introductions. Amen. I'm going to try to hurry this one up. Number one, walk with God and know your call. Here it is, starting from the very basic, Mark 3, 14. Everybody listen to me, even some of our 17-year-olds. Don't click out now. God's blessing you. He's teaching you. Here it is, For if you didn't raise your hand, not just to call them out, but for anybody. Listen, verse 14, he appointed 12, designated them apostles, that they may be with him and that he might send them out to preach. The first thing you need to know, guys, Sister Armana, the first thing you need to know is that he called you to be with him. You need to get alone with God these next few weeks and know that you know that God has called you. You have to know that we will accept you in August the way you are. You don't have to come perfect. I got kicked out of Bible college within the first semester. Okay, I have other stories to tell, amen? It didn't just, he was, you know, like this, and boop, 15 years later like this. No. But here's the thing. You don't quit, and you know that's your call. Jeremiah knew he was called. You don't let anything get in the way. And when God calls you here, he knows what we're like. He knows what we're about. So that means he wants you to finish here. Are you understanding me? We used to have students go to the SUM professors and say, hey, uh, you know, we want to go finish at Valley Forge or we want to go to North Central. And they would say, God calls you here, finish here. That's how we were taught because God knew we would be here. God knew you would face trials here. He knows what your next three years are like or if you're going to be on the four-year plan. It's three-year Bible college, by the way. Some of you might be on the four-year plan. It might take you a little while. But Come on, are you following me? God knows if you're going to be on the four-year plan, you stick with it. Amen. Number one, know your calling. Number two, be filled with the Holy Ghost and fire. Acts 2.38, repent every one of you and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent of your sins and be filled with God's power. We are unashamedly Pentecostal here. We want to see you operate in the gifts of the Spirit here. We want to see you do things that no eye has seen, no ear has heard. We want to see you prophesy, raise the dead, heal the sick, walk on water. We want to see you live for Jesus, not in the natural, but in the supernatural Pentecostal power of God. We're looking for a generation that's going to give China a run for their money that's going to roll up your sleeves and go boom shakalaka y'all better get ready because America's coming on the fastest growing church scene a generation come on of world changers history makers and roof breakers number one know your call number two get filled with the Holy Ghost number three ask God for compassion for the people Ask God for compassion. Matthew 9, 36. I remember one time after I got back from preaching at a juvenile jail, 
I was preaching them so harshly in the Word of God. I was using the Scripture where it says a pig will go back to its sow, so a sinner goes back to their sin. And I had no grace, no compassion. I said, you're in this jail because you're not a dog, you're a pig. The juvenile jail pastor with me, Pastor Sutherland, knew these students. He looked at their eyes. He said they were within moments of jumping over those tables to come attack me. And I remember in my self-righteousness going back and arguing with Chancellor. And I was telling him, no, I know that I'm right. I know they deserved it. It's biblical. You see a pig and see here it is. And and they call each other dogs. I'm telling them they're a pig because they went back to their sin. and, And in the midst of my attitude, he had an empty water bottle in his hand. He said, fill this up with tears for praying for them. And see if you can preach that message the same again. Fill it up first with tears for them. And see if you can preach that same message. See, my heart had not yet been broken for people. And over those next few months of Bible college, I would have my heart broken, weeping at the altars of God, thinking of these young people. And to this day, When most people see criminals, when most people see the inner city, when most people see the unloved of this society, I call them friend. I call them children that God has calls on their life. Are you all listening to me? I could keep you here all day with stories from the hood about God breaking my heart. Number one, know your call. Number two, get filled with the Holy Ghost. Number three, ask God for compassion. Matthew 9, 36 says this. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed, helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Band, would you come, please, in closing? And lastly, would you preach the word? 1 Timothy three sixteen. Or excuse me, 2 Timothy 3.16, waiting for the band to come. Number four, preach the Word of God. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Would you stand up with me, please? I'm so happy that you're here. I want to summarize this message as you look up at me because it's so important to me that I feel you get this today. Jeremiah was called to be a prophet during the worst time of Israel's history. When he made his excuses about why he wasn't qualified, God said, but I knew you when you were in your mother's womb. And I appointed you to be my prophet to the nations. Jeremiah began to get words from God that rebuked his people so harshly. And it cost him He was whipped. He was put in stocks, thrown into a pit, ridiculed. And yet he didn't give up. 
Jeremiah was then told by the Lord relationally to remain single. And he didn't give up. But when it became too much for him, when the priests and his fellow leaders turned their backs on him, he cried out to God and said, God, you deceived me. I thought it would be better than this. And then when he said he won't preach anymore, he said the word of God came up in him like fire shot up in his bones. And he began to write hope for his people that when Daniel would come later, they could look back at Jeremiah's life and the word of God brought them encouragement. I then shared with you his biggest problems with the people that were preaching in his day. That the people of his day, they were corrupt in their character. They were selfish and they put their word above God. And I've asked you to be different. God through me today is pleading with you, would you be different? Would you be different? Would you finish what you start here? Will you live holy? Will you lay down your life? Not what you get out of it, but what you give out of it. It's not what I came to get. It's what I came to give. And it's not my word, but it's His word in my heart. And then I challenged you today with four things to do, to know God and His calling. To get filled with the Holy Ghost and repent of any sin in your life. To ask God to take your heart and to break it. And now to leave out of here and to preach it. I want you to close your eyes right now with those things in mind. Would you just close your eyes? Just where you're standing right now with your eyes closed, I want you to let the message sink in now. A prophet to the nations. A prophet to the nations. I've been called to be a prophet to the nations. I may be young, but I've been called To be a prophet to the nations. I may not know how to speak, but I've been called to be a prophet to the nations. I want you where you are. One at a time. One at a time. As a matter of fact, I want everybody but the, the keyboard to go back to their seats. Just leave her up here, please, on the keyboard. One at a time. I want you to cry out who you are. So that we can hear you. The devil can hear you. But more importantly, so God can hear you. You don't have to use my exact words. 
But in just a moment, I'm going to say, go for it. And then one at a time, I want to hear people cry out from their seats to God who they are. To shout out, I'm a prophet to the nations called to plant churches over the world. A hundred thousand disciples with fifty churches. I'm called to start a revolution. That's my cry. One at a time, let your cry come out now. Come on.